I appreciate Brother John filling in last week and uh, just one of those nights that I knew it would be better for somebody else to, to do it than me in condition I was in. But anyway, I'm, I'm better tonight, thank the Lord. Proverbs chapter number 12, and Lord willing, we're going to wrap up this chapter tonight. We, we have, uh, see, we are down through verse number 17. So tonight we're going to pick up in verse number 18 and uh, try our best to get through the chapter. Proverbs 12, verse 18. The wicked worketh a deceitful work. In other words, their conduct is in keeping with their character. And that, that's always true, whether it's good or whether it's bad. The wicked worketh a deceitful work, but to him that soweth righteousness shall be a sure reward. That makes a great title for a sermon, a sure reward. You know, there's a lot of things in, in life that's not certain, and uh, this is one thing that's absolutely certain. Uh, talking about Jennifer a while ago and... Uh, her faithfulness to the Lord and so forth, and mentioned the fact that God is sure to bless her for that. And that's true of all of God's servants. It's like, like the old song says, it pays to serve Jesus. And boy, the songwriter got it right. It really does pay. We don't serve him because it pays, but it certainly pays. And, and that's something that we need to keep in mind. It always pays to do what is right. You know, Satan would uh, try to convince us that we can get ahead and we can prosper and uh, that life can be more pleasurable if we take a different route. But the Bible teaches just the opposite of that. The sure reward belongs to those that are righteous. And uh, verse number 19, he says, As righteousness tendeth to life, so he that pursueth evil pursueth it to his own death. Now, this is a continuation of the last two verses that we've talked about. Remember how verse 17 ended? But he that is cruel troubleth his own soul. And we talked about that in our last message. So this is a continuation of those two verses here. And it, it, but, but here it's carried to the extreme. It goes beyond a general statement, you know. It's one thing to say the reward of the righteous is, is a sure reward, but here, here we see it this taken to the extreme, and righteousness not only brings blessings, its reward tends to life. And in other words, it, pro, it promotes longevity uh, as a result of it, and well-being. And on the other hand, evil brings trouble and misery, and it leads to death. And so it's back to that old saying, we reap whatever we sow. And we've already talked about that considerably, but it's certainly true. That is a law of the Bible. Uh, just as certain as the sun's going to come up in the morning, we reap what we sow, more than we sow, the same as we sow, later than we sow, but there's always a payday. But righteousness tendeth to life. And so this shows the great importance in right living. Uh, I mean, it's a matter of life and death. And, and, and I, don't, I don't know if anyone was talking a while ago and, 
and uh, Brother Rick Morris made the statement. He said something about, I'm, I'm not afraid of dying. It's, uh, it's, it's, I, yeah, I'm not afraid of death. It's the dying, you know, that process. How much is it going to hurt? You know, how long is the suffering going to last? And so, so, you know, all of us, all of us have a concern about our life. I mean, if the doctor, you know, did all kinds of tests and said, now look, this is this is the way it is. Uh, you you are most certainly going to die within a week unless you take this bottle of pills. You know, well, I, I wouldn't have any problem taking that bottle of pills if it was going to prolong my life. But something better than pills or anything else is the matter of living righteously before the Lord. I, I mean that, and and you you just can't get a lot of people to see that. It's just not that important to them. But if we could, some way, with the help of the Holy Spirit, convince them that your life depends upon your relationship with God, surely it would make a difference. Verse number 20, uh, They that are of a froward heart are abomination to the Lord, but such as are upright, that would be the righteous people, those that are upright, those that are upright in in their way are his delight. Now, notice we, we've been talking about the results of righteousness and the results of wickedness. And, and in the last verse, we saw that it was a matter of life and death. But, you know, that raises this question. Uh, is, is there anything more important than that? You know, we just talked about the importance of living and dying. Is there anything more important than that? Well, the answer is yes, there is. There's something more important than whether I live or whether I die. And the thing that is more important is whether or not I am pleasing the Lord. Pleasing God is the most important thing in our life. That's the thing that we ought to be living for. And and notice here in the last part of this verse... Those that are upright, notice, upright in their way, they are his delight. And so this is not just a matter of life and death. It's a matter of pleasing God. And so many times we think, you know, we put all of the emphasis upon us and what God does for us, and we get pleasure from God, and that's all true. But our main goal in life should be to bring God pleasure, to delight God. Uh, and, and, and think about that, bringing God delight. I, and, and it's really amazing when you consider who God is, what God has. I mean, how do you, how do, you do anything for God? He owns it all. And, and how, you know, how can you impress God? After all, uh, He is perfect. And so uh, what can you do? And yet the Bible tells us that we can bring delight to the heart of God, and that ought to be our aim. That ought to be our goal. And to do that, to do that, look, we don't have to excel above others as though we were in competition with them. We don't have to do something better than somebody else. All we've got to do is be faithful. All we've got to do is live righteously before the Lord, and that brings pleasure to God, and that's what we ought to be striving for. Every time we meet together in this service, that's the one thing above everything else uh, that we ought to be shooting for. Is this going to please God? Will this bring delight to the heart of God? If we love Him, that's going to be the desire of our heart. 
to bring delight to his. Verse 21, though hand join in hand. And so now you've got people united. Though hand join in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished. But the seed, the offspring, the children of the righteous shall be delivered. Have you ever noticed that some people think that... uh, uh, that if everybody else is doing something, then they're justified in doing the same thing. In other words, their standard of living is determined by popular opinion. And uh, naturally, you know, we live uh, in what we call a, a democracy, and a lot of people think, well, you know, if we are confederated in this, if we're all together and we come into agreement that this is okay, uh, it must be all right. Because, you know, it's not going to offend anyone, you know. Nobody's going to make any accusations against us. We're not going to get arrested, uh, you know, as though we have violated some law and hurt somebody's feelings. And, uh, and, and it's, it's so amazing how some people let that become their code of conduct, even whenever it clearly contradicts the law of God. We, we see that in regards to a lot of things. That I posted a little thing on Facebook that I shared from somebody else. And uh, on one side of the cartoon, I guess you would call it uh, that, you know, it had a, had a Muslim making threats that, you know, I think it was in a butcher shop and a pig or whatever. And if you don't do this, you know, uh, we're going to put you out of business. Well, on the other hand, you have the lesbian and gay community uh, over there saying, if you don't bake this cake for us, we're going to put you out of business. You, you see, those people are not satisfied in in doing what they do. They, in fact, I saw two or three different articles today. I didn't read any of them, but two or three different articles, uh, and, and some of them were in nationally known newspapers and what have you, saying how Christianity has got to change to embrace the gay and lesbian community. We don't have to do anything. But that's, that's the, that is the effort that's being put forth today is that, oh, my, you don't want to offend those people. You've got to embrace those people and, and, and what have you. It's, and, and we're depicted as being haters and what have you. And, and I don't know of any spirit-filled, born-again Christian that hates gay people. It's not a matter of hating them. It's a matter of them recognizing their sinful conduct. But but the things that we're talking about go back to whenever I was a boy and, and most of you were growing up. I, I, I mean, you, you didn't even talk about this stuff in public. It wasn't, wasn't a subject of discussion at all. I, I certainly wouldn't bring it up in a church service. But what I'm saying is they are confederate in this. And I, I saw, what, what's his face, the head of Apple now come out that he's happy to announce that he's gay. I just read that yesterday, yeah. So you might want to stop on your iPhone or something. Uh, 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 well, <laughs> I, I won't go there. But, <laughs> but you, you see what I mean? Listen, we cannot allow popular opinion to determine what's right and what's wrong. I mean, we've got to go to the Word of God and let that be the determining factor in what we in what we do. Well, getting back to what he says, you know, the wicked shall not go unpunished. Now, 
you know, they might change the views of society, make laws to protect them in their sinfulness and so forth, and they might seem to prosper as a result of it, but they're not going to go unpunished. There's a payday coming someday. But here's the other side of the coin. This is the positive side, but the seed of the righteous, that is the children of those who live godly, they shall they shall be delivered. God is going to... And that word delivered is the same word that we use for salvation, that God is going to deliver them as it were. So whereas the sins of some tend to bondage, the righteousness of others gives them freedom. They're delivered. Now verse 22 is a jewel of gold in a wine snout. <laughs> uh, i got to really be careful here. Uh, so is a fair woman which is without discretion. A jewel of gold in a wine snout. I remember the first church that I pastored, uh, we we rented a little farm just uh, just outside of town. It, it so happened that I worked for a civil engineering firm at that time and worked with a guy that bought this farm, needed somebody to take care of it. And so uh, it was right there within a couple of miles of the church and uh, wanted to know if, We'd like to live there, cheap rent and what have you. I said, absolutely. So we we moved out in this little fieldstone farmhouse, beautiful place out on the hill, and uh, decided, you know, well, since we're living out here, we might as well, uh, we might as well, you know, kind of be like farmers. So somebody gave gave me a beautiful riding horse. I've told some of you about that story, but I won't. That's for a later time. Uh, we decided we'd get some chickens. And, we, you know, had a dog and a cat and got some chickens and, and then decided, well, you know, we might as well get some pigs. And, and, uh, and uh, you know, it's a good idea. Get them, fatten them up, butcher them. You got your own meat. And the problem is kids tend to want to make pets out of pigs. They really do. You know, they start naming the pigs and what have you. And then, you know, it comes time to butcher them. And, boy, you just feel like a heel. You know, they're crying and you're going to kill my pig. Yeah, it's a pig. It's, you, you know, it's supper. It's just a pig. You know, we live in a day. And I, I really, I, I'm, a, if you could call it that, I, I'm, I'm a dog lover. And, and I won't say anything about my feelings for cats. I might offend someone, but I'm I'm really a dog lover. But I got to tell you, it really does bother me when people talk about, oh, that dog was just part of our family. Are you serious? Come on, I know what you mean, but but we need to use better terminology than that. And, and the the point of it is, we've got people that spend no telling how much money. Uh, on on dogs, and and I'm not against you having a dog or a pet or anything, and uh, we may end up with one. I don't know. I'm, uh, but 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 I'm getting off track. But I'm going to make a point here. A pig is a pig, right? And you know you can raise a pot belly pig if you want and make a pet out of it. Some say they're more intelligent than dogs and what have you. And you can te- you know uh, look. I've known people let pigs live in the house. I, I'm telling you the truth. Literally had a pig in the house. Uh, but but to <laughs> to put a, a, a what, what does he say? A jewel. 
think about diamonds and pearls in a pig snout. I, I mean, you know, that borders on ridiculous. No, it doesn't. It goes way past the border. That is ridiculous. I mean, the ornament does not change the nature of the animal, and it's still just an animal. And it's not the kind of animal, you know, that ought to be adorned in silver and gold and diamonds and pearls and things of that nature. Now, Solomon is using that, talking about how inappropriate that is. But notice notice the application. He says, so is a fair woman. So... Here you've got a woman that would be described as beautiful and fair, and uh, but she is without discretion. In other words, the finest ornaments and apparel, and all of the cosmetics and everything else, does not cancel out the folly uh, of a wicked woman. In other words, no no amount of external adornment makes up for her sinful nature. By the way, that's the point in, uh, over in First Peter chapter 3, if you want to turn there with me. And, and let's just take time to read these verses. I think we uh, too often forget about what the Bible says in this regards, and, and we need to pay attention. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be one to the conversation of the wives." While they behold your chaste conversation, that is your pure conduct coupled with fear. Now, now listen carefully. Whose adorning, let it not be that of outward adorning of plating of the hair or the wearing of gold or the putting on of apparel. Now, listen, there are some that have taken this to the extreme and, and taught that women should, shouldn't wear makeup. They shouldn't wear jewelry. And, uh, and, and, you know, and they don't. That's their opinion, and they don't do that, and they say that no woman should. But notice that they never pay any attention to that last part of the putting on of apparel. You, you, you see, this was not meant to be taken in, in a literal fashion that, that, that it's wrong, you know, to paint your face, kind of like the old saying that I know you've heard before, you know, if the barn needs painting, paint it, you know. Any old barn looks better with a coat of paint on it. And, 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 and you know, that, that's true. It, it's not sinful for a woman to use makeup. It's not sinful for her to, you know, to do her hair up and to wear jewelry and things like that. But the point is here, notice who's adorning uh, let it not be that of the outward adorning of the plating of the hair and the and, and the wearing of gold and putting it on apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. So he's simply drawing a contrast saying, ladies, ladies, don't put the emphasis all on the outside because that's not what's most important. The most important has to do with what's going on inside you. Uh, And uh, too many times we forget about that. That's where the real beauty is. And no, listen, no amount of cosmetics or expensive jewelry or anything else is going to make up for a, a woman who is without discretion. And that word means judgment or good taste. She's without discretion or taste. And, 
Uh, she can make herself beautiful on the outside, but she's still wicked and vile on the inside. And that's what God's trying to get us to see. And just as I said in regards to the pig, regardless, you can wash that pig and put perfume on it, and you can put a, a, a bow on each ear and everything you want and put uh, hoof polish on its, on its hooves, and, and, you know, you can do all that, but it's still a pig. The inside hasn't changed one bit. And so we need to keep the emphasis where it ought to be. Now, verse 23, the desire of the righteous is only good. That's interesting. The desire of the righteous is only good, but the expectation, that is of the hope, the expectation of the wicked is wrath. And, uh, you know, whenever you, whenever you think about the the expectation of the wicked. Notice that 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 word expectation has to do with his hope. In, in other words, he has hopes, he has desires like everyone else. And he says, he that is cruel troubleth his own soul. You know, when a person is truly righteous, when a person is truly dedicated to the Lord... I, I jumped ahead of a verse there somewhere. I'm looking at verse... I think I, I was on 23, but, well, where did I get, oh, I see what I did. All right. I, I'm getting on to 24. Okay. <laughs> when a truly righteous person notice, he, he says that the desires of his heart is only good. Now, don't misunderstand that. That doesn't mean that a righteous person never has a bad thought. That doesn't mean that he never does a bad deed. It doesn't mean that. But it means that since the day that he was born again and indwelt of the Spirit of God, there never leaves him that desire to do what is right. That's implanted by God. And you can sin, but you're not going to enjoy it. Because the Holy Spirit is going to convict you of your sin. That's why I keep saying the most miserable people on earth are not unsaved people. We think about how miserable those folks are. And I was watching a little clip of a show, just a part of it, and it's something about my 600-pound life. This guy weighed 777 pounds. And uh, several times he was at the point of uh, wanting to commit suicide. He's trying to lose enough weight to have that surgery and so forth. And uh, so they sent him to, uh, over to a shrink to, to get counseling and what have you, which he certainly needed help somewhere. Uh, but, but here was a guy that was desperate and ready to give up on life and uh, uh, just because it was more than what he could cope with. And so getting back to what he's talking about, the righteous person having the desire in their heart, uh, there, there's this struggle that goes on between what is right and what is wrong. And as, as Paul said, uh, the good I would, I don't do, you know, and, and the bad things that I wouldn't do, I find myself doing. And, and I've often said, you know, a Christian, a Christian can commit any sin, but he's not going to live habitually in that sin. He's not going to just stay in it like an old pig in a hog waller and just stay there uh, because they're going to get miserable. So talk about this this 770-pound guy being in misery. 
We think about, you know, those that are addicted to drugs, those that are addicted to alcohol or whatever whatever it might be, and, and those people are so miserable. But let me tell you, they are not nearly as miserable as a born-again Christian living in rebellion against God because the Holy Spirit is not going to allow them to have peace. There's always going to be that seed that has been sown and implanted within them. There's going to be that desire to do what is right. And that's why he uses the word only here. His desire is only to do what is is good. There's those momentary collapses where he acts out of character and does something wrong. But the desire to do right is still within him. So... The second clause, notice here, deals with the desires and the dreams of wicked people, their expectations, the things that they're looking forward to. And, and notice he's telling us their desire is toward wrath. In, in other words, it has more to do with inflicting or causing injury to other people. And, and it might imply that you know, their desires are going to result in the wrath of God upon them. Both, both of those statements would be true. Uh, but wicked people don't care how bad they hurt somebody else. Uh, it's only toward wrath, and that's all they can think of. If I've got to hurt you to get what I want, so be it. And they do. Verse 24, There is that scattereth, and another, and yet increaseth, and there is that that withholdeth more, uh, than is meat, more than is necessary or more than is appropriate, but it tendeth to poverty. Now, the next several verses really need to be considered together because, as you're going to see, all of these verses are, uh, deal with the same subject, and that, that is the subject of giving to others. And this word scattereth speaks about dispersing, giving out, uh, you know, giving liberally to other people. And on the other hand, and notice if those that do, they what? They reap what they sow. They give out, so they receive back. On the other hand, notice there are those that withhold more than is necessary, and you think, wow, then they're going to gain. No, just the opposite is true. In withholding more than is necessary, they end up in poverty. I read a story one time back during the Great Depression, and I can remember so well, you know, how the Great Depression affected my mom and dad, and so naturally it made an impact on me. But there were two families that shared a house in Pennsylvania. One of the families occupied the upstairs, and the other family occupied the lower floor. The family that was living downstairs... Because of the great difficulty people were going through, they were always inviting people in to share what they had. And every time they had an opportunity, you know, they set the table and invited friends over or neighbors over. And some way or another, you know, giving just out of their scant supply, some way or another, they always had enough. But the people living upstairs... Their philosophy was, look, we're going through hard times and we've got to take care of ourselves. And if we share with others, we're going to, we're going to end up doing without. And, and so they locked up everything, all the extra they had, 
in a pantry and refused to give anything away until one day it became necessary for them to go to the pantry and discovered that rats had literally destroyed their food supply. The strange thing is there was no food stored downstairs. The rats, nothing down there for them to eat basically because down there they were giving out and receiving and uh, and uh, there was no trouble from the rats. But the rats destroyed everything they had. I thought, you know, that is a perfect picture of what the Lord is talking about in these verses. And if we really believe the Bible... You know, the real test is not what we say, but what we do. And whenever the Lord said it's more blessed to give than to receive, you know, if we really believe that, we all know that the Lord said that, right? And we know that He can't lie, but do we really believe that? It's more blessed to give than to receive. Well, it's true. It really is. And and uh, sometimes I, I like the way it's put there in the book of Malachi in chapter number 3, it's just literally saying that if you don't believe it, just put the Lord to the test. Test Him. Try Him and see if He won't do what He said. And let me tell you, He's never failed the test yet. Verse 25, The liberal soul shall be made fat. And, and th- that word fat was used in Bible times again and again and again in regards to prosperity. It's not talking so much about a person's weight as it is their prosperity. The liberal soul, the one that's giving out, shall be made fat, and he that uh, watereth shall be watered also himself. So here again, basically the same picture stated in a different way. Verse 26, He that withholdeth corn, the people shall curse him, but blessing shall be upon the head of him that that uh, selleth it. Many years ago, and I, I, I read a, an example of this, had to do with uh, one of the ancient European uh, kingdoms, and, and it was during a time of drought, and it went on and it went on and it went on. And finally it got to the point that the king began to worry, you know, uh, not so much about his subjects, but about his family. And so he began to hoard everything that he could. He imposed even a harsher tax on his people, you know, to supplement what he already had. He already had more than everybody else. But but the story ended by saying that he made it so difficult on the people in trying to take care of himself and his family that the people rose up in rebellion and killed him and his family. In other words, he lost everything as a result of his attitude. He withheld the corn, the uh, you know, the food, the staple, the, the things that they needed, and he withheld that from them for his own sake, and ultimately uh, it resulted in the destruction of his family. Well, again, going back to the other verses, we reap what we sow, and history proves it. The Bible proclaims it. History proves it. Verse 27 he that diligently seeketh good procureth favor, but he that seeketh mischief, it shall come unto him. That's why over and over again I 
probably a thousand times over the years I've made this statement, when we're good to others, we're always best to ourselves, And we really are. When we do good to others, we are being best to ourselves. And I think about Christ and the fact that he went about doing good, the Bible says, and, and we ought to do, do exactly the same thing. We ought to do the best we can as soon as we can, and, and that's implied by the, that we're diligent. I mean, we ought to be diligent in this matter uh, without any delay. But if we seek mischief rather than the good, what happens? Well, mischief comes upon us. Verse 28. He that trusteth in his riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. Now, now notice he doesn't say anything here uh, about having riches per se. It, it's not the riches. In other words, there's no condemnation of people because they're rich. Notice the point is that he's trusting in his riches rather than God. That's the thing that brings about the fall. That's why Paul warned Timothy uh, in very stern words, actually, about the matter of the love of money being the root of all evil and bringing misery to people. It's the love of money. It's the desire of being rich. And it's trusting in your riches rather than God. Because uh, we might as well face it. There are some people who don't see their need of God because they think, well, I've got everything I need. You know, I, I, I can buy whatever I need. I can buy the best of this and the best of that. You know, why do I need God? And, and they don't understand that they owe their very next breath to God himself. He that trusteth in riches shall fall. No doubt about it. Well, I've got to hurry. Verse 29, and we'll wrap this up. He that troubleth his own household shall inherit the wind. And the fool shall be servant to the wise of heart. But there is so much that I, I, I could say about that there. And uh, it pretty much speaks for itself. You, you trouble your own household. You hurt your own family. And you're going to end up inheriting the wind. And uh, I used to have a preacher friend to talk about. Uh, he, he's talking about being so poor. He said all we had was... Uh, was rabbit tracks and wind pudding, you know. There's not many calories in rabbit tracks and wind pudding. And uh, that's the point here. There's nothing to the wind, you know, other than the harm that it brings. And when we bring trouble upon our own household, we might as well expect that we're going to inherit the wind. Verse 30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that winneth souls is wise. Now, notice what the righteous person does here. Notice is, is like a tree that provides nourishment, strength, and life, but it's to others. And that, that's why he says, he that one of souls is wise, because notice, in doing so, he, he attracts others. He's like an oasis in the middle of a desert somewhere, and his godly character, uh, his kind, generous spirit has a way of attracting other people. And uh, certainly it demonstrates, demonstrates great wisdom on his part. He that winneth souls is wise. It doesn't say he that has memorized the Bible is wise, although that would be a good thing to do. 
It doesn't say, you know, he that makes a six-figure income is wise, although not anything wrong with that. Uh, but uh, he that winneth souls is wise. And so if we're going to show ourselves wise before the Lord, it needs to be in our effort to win others. And, and, and there's a lot to be said about this here. And, and oftentimes I've used that word natural. Our winning of other people to Christ ought to be natural. Notice the fruit of the righteous is as a tree of life. And we're talking about things in nature now. We're talking about a tree that is attractive and a tree that literally brings life to, uh, to, to others. Whenever we think about being natural, I'm talking about as being what we ought to be as opposed to acting like a salesman with the Bible in our hand trying to sell Christ to the sinner. And I'm using that terminology on purpose because that is exactly the terminology that some in seminary has used in trying to teach young preachers to be, to be soul winners. Think of yourself as a salesman and Christ is the product and you're trying to, to sell him. And, and I'll tell you, more than one preacher has fallen into the trap in their effort to get professions of faith now, if you'll just bow your head and just uh, and just take my take my hand, if you would, and repeat this prayer after me. Well, you know, sometimes people get so frustrated they'll say nearly anything to get you out of their house. You know, oh yeah, I, if, if it's all you want me to do, and and they're not anywhere close to salvation. And and I hope I'm not stretching the point of this here, but I think it's important that the Lord is using something in nature, something that is natural and the product of it. And whenever you read in the book of Acts about that early church, you'll notice it was all it was all natural. It was the things they did every day. That's why it's so important, not so much what goes on in the four walls of this church. But what's really important is what goes on in the doctor's office. Whenever you're talking to your insurance agent, when you're talking to your next-door neighbor, when you're interacting with those around you, remember, he that winneth souls is wise, and our life ought to be such that it is an attraction, as it were, to others. Where, and by attraction, I mean where they see the difference that Christ makes in our life, and it creates within them a desire to have what we've got. And uh, that's the Bible way to do it. Verse 31, Behold, the righteous shall be recompensed. Now, we've been talking about that, haven't we? A sure reward, remember that? We've been talking about we reap what we sow. We know that the Lord said, Great is your reward in heaven. We're all looking forward to that, right? He even said, Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. But notice here, Notice, behold, the righteous shall be recompensed in the earth. In other words, you're going to get paid back here. It pays to serve Jesus right here. All of our rewards are not something that we're going to receive in the sweet by and by. We're going to receive a lot of them here in the nasty now and now. Bev and I was just talking today. By the way, we've said this same thing over and over and over again so many times. I was standing. I was standing there, and uh, bless her heart, with uh, all of her health problems. Uh, I was out in the office, and she called out and wanted me. Would you come over and help me do something? 
Well, sure, I'd be glad to. And so I get over there, and, and the couch had been here, and the other one here, and the recliner there. She had moved that big, giant recliner. She had moved the couch by herself all the way over onto the other side of the room against that wall. She had rearranged the living room, and, 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 and I about fell over when I looked at that. And whatever it was she wanted me to come over there and do was really easy, simple. I, I mean, I can't even remember what it was now. It was something that was so simple, but it was helpful to her. And I said, why didn't you, why didn't you let me know before you did all of that? Well, I've been telling you I wanted to do it, and you said, let's wait till Tim or somebody's here to help. And she said, I just decided I'd do it. And uh, <laughs> But as I was standing there, and we got to talking, now oh, this looks better, this looks nice. I looked out back in the swim pool, and uh, I'd, uh, I said, I wonder when Elmer's going to get here. I'd hired Elmer, our lawn guy. To, she's, she's been wanting tomato plants ever since we moved in there. And I, I never did put any in, so I called Elmer and I said, have you got a tiller? And I said, look, if you go get some tomato plants and come over here and make a little spot, I, I'll pay you to put some tomato plants out back. And so I was waiting on him and I stood there and looked out there and I said, you know, I, 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 just, I can't believe how good God is. The swimming pool out back. And in this beautiful house and brand-new vehicle, not just any vehicle, I mean a wow, the knock-your-socks-off vehicle that the church bought and all of this. And you get talking about that, and she starts crying, of course. And I'm saying all that to say this. I mean, boy, I've been far from perfect I wish I was a better pastor. I, there's so much, you know, many things I, I need to do. I, I could be so much better. But the point is, we've tried to be faithful all of these years. And I'm, I'm saying that not to brag on me, but to brag on God. To say that whenever he says here, Behold, the righteous shall be recompensed. They'll be repaid in the earth. I, and, and that's all a part of payday there. We didn't earn any of that. We didn't ask for any of that. And God just said, here it is. And he just, he just amazes me. I, 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 Lisa and Eric, when I told them they had to move on, April Fool's Day, you've got to move. We're going to sell the house to her daughter. She's going to move in here, so you've got to move. And boy, of course, they're in a panic mode. What are we going to do now, you know? Uh, and kaboom, within, a, what, a couple of days, just a few days, God answered the prayer. And uh, now they're, uh, this evening, that's where they're at right now, closing their deal on a rental place, a two-story place right over close to Angie there. And it's just a matter of, of God blessing. We don't deserve any of it. Well, it really does pay to serve Jesus. And to thank you all for all that you've done, and uh, you, you'll be the better for having been a blessing uh, to others. Well, it's, uh, it's hard, hard to quit whenever you're on a subject like that, but we've got to. We've got to let you get out of here. Any last word before we leave?
announcement or something that we need to make that we don't know about, remember the men's meeting Saturday morning, uh, 8 o'clock. And so come and bring a neighbor, bring a friend, bring somebody with you, fellows, and uh, it'll help introduce them to the church. Oh, game night? All right, yeah. If y'all, I keep saying I'm going.